I want you to imagine getting married and you say to your new wife, you say, I love you. I accept you into my heart. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your graciousness. And from that point, you never see or interact with your wife again. But you believe that you have this perfect relationship. Now, the example that I'm giving you here is sort of, I think, what's going on with many religious people in their personal lives, the relationship or maybe the illusion of a relationship that they think they have with God. They look at a relationship, they look at salvation as a few magical words that are spoken at the very beginning. And then from that point, you know, once those magical words are spoken, such as, I love you, I accept you into my heart, I accept your forgiveness of my sins, and I accept your grace. Once those magical words are spoken, from that point, you never see or interact with God again. But you believe that you have this perfect relationship with God. And maybe you say things like, oh, isn't it great to know the Lord, and isn't it great to know Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I, I love going to church, and I just love everything about, you know, God. Now, let me tell you what America's problem is. The reason America is in the mess that it's in, the reason that we're about, you know, the greatest nation on planet Earth, the most blessed nation on planet earth and we're about to sell our freedom for socialism now let me tell you why we're in the mess that we're in it's because we have substituted a personal relationship with god for church and religion let me back up it's because religious people have substituted a personal relationship with god for church and religion Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. You know, it goes something like this. You know, I go to church, therefore I have a relationship with God. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. That just means you like going to church. Oh, I'm, re I'm religious, therefore I have a relationship with God. Well, I mean, give me a break. There's all kinds of people who claim to be religious. Now, I want to look at a story that totally dismisses this idea or these ideas that, well, I go to church, therefore I must have a relationship with God, or I'm religious, therefore I have a relationship, I must have a relationship with God. I want to look at a story of a man in the Bible who probably thought himself that he had a very intimate personal relationship with God because he had gone through all of the motions. Now, let's take a look at it in Acts 8 and verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon. Now, Simon is his name. We're going to look at Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. Now, here we have a man who was a sinner. 
He was living in self-deception. He had a ego as big as I don't know what. He was ego-driven. But also, he was obviously, I think, under a satanic influence because it talks about he used sorcery and bewitched the people. But he, this man named Simon, is about to encounter the real God. Let's take a look at what happens. Acts 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip uh, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So here is Simon in church. He's having, you know, a religious experience. He's seeing people being baptized. He's seeing people accept Christ Jesus as their personal Savior. I mean, this man heard the real gospel. I'm not talking about some counterfeit gospel. I'm not talking about some counterfeit Christ that is preached today. I'm talking about this man, Simon, encountered the real God. He heard about the real Christ Jesus. Okay, Acts 8 and verse 12. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized... He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, here's a man who believed. Here's a man who was baptized. Notice this. I mean, this this was not just a man who, oh, yeah, I invite Jesus into my heart. Uh, no, no, this was a man who heard the true gospel who heard the true message about Christ Jesus. This is a man who believed and was baptized. Now, question, does Simon have a relationship with God? I mean, he's gone through all the motion, okay? Does he have a real relationship with God? Well, let's continue on. Verse 14, Acts 8 and verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here we have a problem. We have a monumental problem. People are being baptized but they haven't received the Spirit of God. I mean, you really want to think about this. I mean, because, I mean, you know, this is critical here that if you're going to do this, you know, the very thing that identifies a true Christian, if any man, you know, have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his, Romans tells, tells us. But this is the very thing that identifies who the real Christians are, and that is whether they have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. So, so, so here were people who believed, who, who had been baptized, but they had not yet received the Spirit of God. All right, next verse, Acts 8 and verse 17. Then laid thee their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying, you know, the laying on of hands for the receiving of the Spirit of God, obviously it must be important or else this scripture wouldn't be in the Bible. Because here we have people who, who went through the motion of, of believing and being baptized, but they had not yet received the Spirit of God. Now, you know, in our church, this is part of a ceremony that we do when we baptize a person. We lay our hands on this person's head, and we ask God to give that person a portion of his Holy Spirit. So my point is, yeah, the laying on of hands is, 
is very important if you're concerned about receiving the Spirit of God. Now, maybe you're not concerned about it, but if you are concerned about it, you need to take note of this. Acts 8 and verse 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands the apostles had the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Spirit of God. Now, Simon, obviously, he must have been the first television evangelist, although television wasn't invented yet. But, I mean, here's a man wanting the gifts, wanting the power for all the wrong reasons. And Peter said to him, Your money perishes with you because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now again, here was a man who went through the motion. He believed. He heard the gospel. He believed. He was in church. He heard the gospel. He repented. He was baptized. And Peter is saying, your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So what what are we learning here from this little scripture here in the book of Acts? Well, we're learning that a man can go through all the motion. A man can be exposed to the church of God. The church that Jesus Christ started 2,000 years ago. Yes, that, that church. A man can be can believe and can be baptized and still not have a relationship with God. Now, the reason is quite simple. Simon's motives weren't right going into the relationship. Let me repeat that. Simon's motives weren't right going into the relationship. Now, think about this. How many religious people do you know? How many people do you know who claim to know the Lord and claim to love Jesus? You know, I mean, how many people do you know who are religious? You know, you really don't know what their motive was going into the relationship. In this case, Simon's motive was power, money. He was ego-driven. He wanted to be great. Uh, He was very self-centered. He was only concerned about himself. Now, there's another corrupt motive that people have for knowing God, for desiring a relationship with God, for wanting to be religious. There's another corrupt motive. And it really hit home with me. I was watching a movie. What this corrupt motive was, I was watching a movie, and there's this uh, woman who was crossing the road. She got hit by an automobile. She's dying in the street. And she calls for a Catholic priest to come save her soul. And he goes over there and says a prayer over her and supposedly saves her soul as she is dying. Now, the corrupt motive is this. You know, I've got to get my butt saved before I kick the bucket. You know, you got a bucket list, and that might be at the very end of the bucket list. You know, I'm going to, before I kick the bucket, I'm going to get myself saved. And I don't really care about a relationship with God. I just want to get myself saved. Now, let's go back to this concept of finding a mate, a a wife, if you're a man, finding a wife. 
you know, let's say the doctors give you three months to live. They come back shaking their heads. You know, the report is not going to be good. Anyway, you just sort of had a certain feeling about that. And all of a sudden they tell you, oh, look, buddy, you got cancer, you got this, you got whatever. And you got about three months to live. And right before, you know, right, you know, so you know you got three months to live. And you say, okay, find me a wife. And you get married. Let me ask you. And then you die two months later. Now, let me ask you, what kind of a relationship are you going to have with that wife in only a couple of months? Or a year or two. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, what I'm saying is the relationship is non-existing. It doesn't even exist. Now, I don't know why we think God is any different, that it takes time to develop a relationship with God. But you see, most people, a lot of religious people, the only thing they're concerned about is just getting themselves saved. That's all they're concerned about. They're not concerned about anything else. It's, it's not about relationship at all. Now, there are areas where we don't want our mate involved in. Let's just admit it. And one of these, every one of these areas that you don't want your wife involved in will create a problem. Now, the answer to this problem is to get rid of the, get rid of the problem, you know, get rid of, quit, you know, allow your wife to help you in these areas but there are areas where we just don't you know we think our lives are our own and we can do whatever we want and we don't want other people involved now these areas are break down to about three areas you know finances number one two appetites i mean really you're talking about you know the man who maybe is looking at pornography and doesn't want his wife to know about that. Of course, he doesn't want his wife to know about that. Uh, or the, the woman who is, you know, he has appetites, okay? He has certain appetites. He has certain, you know, um, a demon of debauchery or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you call it, but, you know, but he has certain appetites. And so, or the wife who maybe is overweight and she doesn't like it when her husband makes certain comments, you know. So we have certain appetites, and we sort of like our appetites, and we don't want anybody talking about or putting down or telling us we need to correct our problems. So we have areas that we don't want our mate involved in, our finances, how we spend our money. You know, you can't tell me how to spend my money. It's my money. Appetites, already gone through that. And the third one is time, how we spend our time. For example, the workaholic. You know, the workaholic, you never have any time. The wife, you know, where are you all the time? You're working all the time. No time spent together. So these three areas can be a relationship destroyer. Finances, appetites, time, how you spend your time. And there is one issue and only one issue that keeps us from having a relationship with God. And it is this idea that, God, you're just not going to tell me what to do. And it's also true in a relationship with, with your mate. This is the biggest problem. You know, you're not going to tell me what to do. Wife, you're not going to tell me what to do. Husband, you're not going to tell me what to do. Now, these three areas break down into a relationship with God. Let's talk about them. Number one, money. You know, that, that is, by the way, going back to the husband and wife, that is what couples fight about the most, they say. Money. But, you know, we love God as long as we don't, owe him anything and the moment we start talking about or any preacher starts talking about tithing giving offerings oh boy 
boy, we bristle up. You know, we think we're doing something if we put $5 in the offering plate and take $3 back out. You know, we make change in the offering plate. I've actually met people, or I've heard about people that, that you know, they think they're really doing something if they, if they put $10 in the offering plate. Well, actually, your Bible says that God requires a tithe, 10%. Give it up, buddy. Give it up. Don't kid yourself in thinking you have a relationship with God if you can't give 10% of your income to God's work or God's church, however you want to look at it. You know, so you're kidding yourself. You are kidding yourself. If you can't let go of the money God that you have in your life, you set up an idol. It's your money, and you got to hold on to You are a stingy, well, I better not say that next word. Okay, all right, all right. But anyway, you know, th- this is, the, okay, if we're going to have a relationship with God, we got to realize this is personal here. we got to talk about the subject of money. And, you know, can you give it up? Or do you think your money is all your own, and God, you're not going to tell me how to, you know, spend my money or anything like that. It's my money. Number two, appetites. You know, we could talk about a lot of areas in appetites. You know, we could talk about what you eat. We could talk, I could talk about the dietary laws that are found in your Bibles. You know, God says, don't eat the scavengers. They'll kill you. You are what you eat. You want to know how come cancer and all kinds of, you know, diseases exist today? It has to do with the dietary laws. So, but, you know, but then this is another idol that we set up in our life. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot eat. I have my appetites and they are my appetites. And no one is going to tell me I can't do this. Then you have me like sexual appetites that are wrong. Maybe a husband, you know, may ask a wife to do things that she's uncomfortable with and is, is, is disgusting or, you know, evil, and, 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 and so, you know, you have certain appetites. You know, there was a, a quote from a, a person, an evolutionist that, that long since passed away. I can't think of, think of his name. But he admitted that the reason he believed in evolution was because he didn't want anybody having any control over his sexual preferences. Again, appetite. And don't kid yourself in thinking you have a relationship with God if you can't give up or control your appetites. If you can't realize some appetites are wrong and God says, quit that, stop that. But if God doesn't have any authority in your life, you're just kidding yourself in thinking you have a relationship with God. Number two was appetite. Again, there's only one issue and only one issue only that keeps us from having a relationship with God, and that is, God, you're just not going to tell me what to do. So we're talking about three areas here. We've discussed one, money, two, appetite. The third one is time, how you spend your time. Does God have the authority to tell you how to spend your time? Yes, he does. It's called the Sabbath day, by the way. Let me educate you in that area. It's called God's Sabbath day, God's holy Sabbath day. Now, I know I can just hear the voices coming through this wall, you know, before I even put this out. 
before it's ever uploaded to YouTube or GodTube or anywhere, any tube out there, you know, Facebook, whatever. I can just hear the voices. Oh, it's a mosaic. It's Jewish. It's for Israel. It's for somebody else. Jesus nailed the law to his cross. It's been fulfilled. It's been done away with. We're not under the law. I can hear all those voices screaming and shouting when I mention the word Sabbath day. But, you know, children spell love T-I-M-E. And I think God spells love T-I-M-E. How you spend your time. Does, now, listen, don't kid yourself in thinking you have a relationship with God if God can't tell you how to spend, if God doesn't have the authority to tell you how to spend your time. You're just kidding yourself. You're just fooling yourself. You don't want to be a fool, do you? Well, you know, that's your choice. Now, until you get control of these three areas, you don't even have a relationship with God. You think you do. You think you do because you go to church, because you're a good person, because you tell people you love Jesus, because you tell people you're a Christian. But until you you realize that, you know, a relationship with God is a matter of the will, it really is. You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. He that says I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. It has to do with your will. But most of us, and most Christians, I would say, sort of, sort of live with this, you know, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. And that is the issue. That has always been the issue. And the ability to get past this, the ability to come to a point of unconditional surrender. I surrender all. I don't know why religious people even sing that song. It's the biggest joke I've ever heard. You know, we sit in church all dressed up nicely. I surrender all. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. I bet you have. Yeah. Tell me another joke. Now, here's what I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand. You cannot have a relationship with God without first engaging your will. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, your free moral agency, the ability to choose between right and wrong, you cannot have a relationship with God without first engaging your will. Now, I didn't say you couldn't be religious. You know, you can you can be deeply religious. There are people that sit in church and they have never, maybe they've been going to church for 40 years, they've never engaged their will. The thought has never crossed their mind that, hey, God has the authority to, uh, has the authority to tell me what to do. Now, there are 450,000 churches in America, and they all have one thing in common. They all claim to be right. And Jesus said this in John 7, verse 17. He said, if any man will do his will, there it is. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Out of these 450,000 churches, you know, you got to discern between whether they're speaking of themselves or whether they truly represent God. And the only way to do that is to understand, is to engage your will. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, the truth the true church of God, let me say. And you find that out. The way you discern this, the way you get there is by understanding that a relationship with God begins first with engaging your will. A, rela a relationship with God in the book of Genesis starts started with a tree. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it was. It was a, this tree you can eat of. This, 
Eat of this one, don't eat of that one. Okay, And it ends with the same tree. Revelation 22 and verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. You know, it's always been about, you know, will you do what I tell you to do? That It starts out, the book, the Genesis starts out with that. Will you do what I tell you to do? You know, it's been said, if you put a child in, front of, in, in a room full of toys and you identify, you put a red sticker on one toy and say, don't you touch this one toy, even though the child has hundreds of other toys to play with that are just as nice or nicer, the child is going to go to the one toy with the red sticker on it that you said, don't touch that. It's just the way we are, and we have to deal with this issue. God, you're not going to tell me what to do. This is where a real, real, I'm talking about a real relationship with God. Now, I want to offer you something on this podcast, how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. You know, as a nation, as religious people, we have substituted a personal relationship with God for church and religion. We have placed so much emphasis on going to church, on, you know, being in church and fellowshipping and potlucks. And, you know, I went to church today and you should have heard, I heard the best sermon ever. You, I mean, that's a wonderful sermon. And I'm thinking to myself, why, my goodness, you're just in an echo chamber. You're just hearing what you want to hear. You're just having repeated back to you in the echo chambers of our mind, you know, the very thing that we want to hear. If the minister said something you didn't want to hear, you wouldn't be there. So this program on how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion, this program will give you the steps you need to take to develop a real relationship with God. And sometimes it's necessary to put aside all of the dogma and the traditions and the the things that church give us Sometimes it's important just to step aside from that and to really work on an intimate, personal relationship with God. This is an extensive program I offer. You can find that at youplusgod.info. That's youplusgod.info. And you can check that program out and order it if you like. I think it would do you some good. I think it will help you. But I just wanted to mention that. Well, anyway, how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. It's all about relationship. Just like a marriage, it's all about relationship. And we have been deceiving ourselves for too long and thinking, you know, I said those words, those magical words long ago, and I've been going to church, you know, and I tell people I love Jesus and I'm a good person. I'm nice, you know. A little bit more to being a true Christian than just being nice. You can find nice people everywhere, but you can only find a few what I call true Christians who really have a genuine, intimate relationship with God. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is 
is thatreallyinthebible.net.